Well, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us again today. Here with me at the podium is the Minister for Health and Social Care, and on Zoom we have the Minister for Education, Sport and Culture, and our Director of Public Health. I hope you've had the opportunity to take a look at the exit framework that we published this week. I know it has been well received. Even though it will almost certainly be subject to change over the coming weeks and months, I hope it has given you a clearer understanding of the road ahead. I need to once again thanks James, to thank James Davis for leading a discussion with Mark Lewin from our Department of Enterprise on this that you can view online. In a second I will hand over to Minister Ashford for an update on testing numbers from the last 24 hours. Just before I do, I would like to make a point of my own on data. I know that people are carefully following the numbers that we release on social media and to the media each day. I know there has been a lot of debate about what the figures mean, and I know that there is a wish to see more. The team has been working on a dashboard that I hope will allow everyone to see for themselves the story as it unfolds. I know that lots of people have found the vaccination das dashboard very useful. This new dashboard will, for example, break daily cases down into those that are linked to known existing positives and those that might be so far unexplained. The team have been doing the final revisions today and I will share it with Timbald members tomorrow morning and we aim for it to be fully live after that. This will be a version one. If people have thoughts on what else might be included, then we are open to ideas. There are some things that it is not possible for us to publish for patient confidentiality reasons, but where we can share, we will. A good moment, I think, to hand over to Minister Ashford for today's numbers. David. Thank you, Chief Minister. The total tests undertaken stands at 38,147. The total tests concluded stands at 38,137. So the awaiting results figure is 10. New cases identified is 65. That means the total cases now stands at 1,091. We have 644 active cases, of which 12 are in hospital. Just having done the figures, I want to clear up a couple of points on the figures that I know may sometimes cause confusion. And I, Firstly, turning to awaiting results. I know some people have queried the awaiting results figures saying, I've been tested but not been told my results yet, so why is it zero? Well, this is not what awaiting results is. It was covered early on in the pandemic last year when stats started to be issued, but it's worth clarifying again since we're now 12 months on. Awaiting results means tests still to be processed in the laboratory that have had no result returned. It does not mean the individuals have received contact from 111 with the results. This is shown by the fact it ties in with the two figures above it in the table. In other words, total tests undertaken and total tests concluded. This is the difference between these two laboratory figures on what the lab has processed and has outstanding to process. Giving out of results is a manual process undertaken by 111 and takes a good amount of time, particularly when, as currently, a large number of tests has been undertaken. A current level, several hundred a day minimum. So zero awaiting results means the lab have processed and produced results for all tests that they have received, not that all those people have received confirmation from 111 of their results. 
This has always been the case and is not something new. The lab have been working till 3am most days over the last week to try and clear everything they have daily. So at the moment, most days will show awaiting results as zero. So if we take today's awaiting results, it means at the point the snapshot was taken, the lab had received 10 tests it still had to get results for. The second thing I want to address is some confusion that came over the difference in figures that was an issue at the last briefing. At the last press conference, I made clear that the figures being given were a snapshot and that cases may rise as time went on. The figures that are shared with councillor ministers and Tinwood members in the morning are the raw figures from the laboratory of swabs that have tested positive from the moment we last reported. These are then passed to the contact tracing team who examine each one and are verified as cases. So why do they need to be verified as cases? It's because we have to be sure that a fresh positive result is actually a new case. The total number of positive cases identified by the lab may not all be new cases. It may contain repeat tests, day 7 tests and day 13 tests of people who have already tested positive on a previous test and so are already a positive case and are not therefore a new case. So it is important that verification process is completed so we get an accurate number of new cases and aren't duplicating people in those figures. In previous outbreaks, this hasn't been a problem, as the verification process is finished by 4pm when this briefing starts. But with the current numbers of tests coming back, the sheer volume is massive for the team. So it took well into the evening on that occasion for them all to be examined and logged as new cases. In fact, if memory serves me correct, it was after 8pm at night that this was finished. We know how much some people rely on and are interested in the figures. So it was felt that although the verification was not complete, it was important to give the figures that had been verified up to 4pm rather than simply going out and saying we had no figures to give, which is why I clearly badged it when giving the figures that it was a snapshot of what had been processed and confirmed by 4pm and stressed that the number would be likely to rise as the day went on. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, David. The Council of Ministers heard this morning that the figures may indicate that the lockdown measures and your actions may be having some impact. There is a long way to go yet, but it does feel that we are heading in the right direction. Although active cases have continued to rise, the daily increase has started to reduce. We do know that subject to negative day 13 tests over the next few days, we are about to see a lot of active cases leave self-isolation. This will mean the number of active cases should reduce. I should add my thanks to the swabbing teams and those in the lab who have been working really long hours at pace. Over the last week, they have done and tested over 4,000 swabs. I know many people will want to know if, they, if we have now hit a peak, and I will ask our Director of Public Health to give us a far more expert view than I can, along with any other updates on what we are seeing through our testing and tracing. Dr Hewitt.
Thank you, Chief Minister. Yes, um, fortunately, for the last few days, we have been seeing a consistent drop-off in the number of new cases each day. And from the curve, it looks as if we have at least plateaued and are possibly beginning to come down. When we share the dashboard, which Chief Minister has already mentioned today, you'll be able to see that curve for yourselves and it will make it much more visually um, apparent than just giving numbers does. But it does look as if that's the case. We're plateauing and coming off the peak. Now, um, in terms of the age distribution, although children and young people is still the largest group, that group is increasingly becoming people who we already know are infected rather than the new cases. The greatest number of the new cases are now in the slightly older age groups, the young adults and then the, the older adults. And that really reflect, reflects um, household transmission as houses which had a, an index case who was a child or young person, that case then goes on to infect parents, siblings and other household members. So we're seeing what we expect to see and we haven't seen any surprises yet. Um, and let's hope it continues that way. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Hewitt. I've said it before, but I need to say it again. We are dealing with a virus that, if left unchecked, can move through our community at an eye-watering pace. The best way to stop it is to stay at home. Please do everything you can to prevent household mixing. This is what is going to allow us to come out of this as early as possible and to protect our vaccination programme. On our vaccination programme, it has been great to see the increase in numbers now coming through. On Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday this week, the team delivered more than 1,000 jabs each day. Yesterday was in fact over 1,100. I understand that they are on course to break that 1,000 mark again today. This really is excellent. I'm particularly pleased to see that 84% of our first four priority groups, so residents in care homes, those aged 70 and above, those who are clinically extremely vulnerable, and frontline health and social care workers, have now had at least one dose. David, would you like to add anything further on the vaccination programme? Yes, thank you, Chief Minister. Turning to the vaccination programme, at the beginning of the design of the programme, we made clear that as we entered March, that was when we would start to receive increased stock of the vaccine and be able to ramp up our vaccination schedule. This is exactly what has happened. As of the most recent update, just before I came into this briefing, we have delivered 4,038 jabs so far this week alone. That's 3,643 first doses and 395 second doses since Monday. Tomorrow, we will have delivered over 30,000 jabs, both first and second doses combined, and have now vaccinated with at least one dose over 41% of our most vulnerable people in our community, and as the Chief Minister said, 84% of the top prior four priority groups, and that number is climbing daily. I know also that people ask how we compare to the UK rollout, so I just want to give you some information on that. As people may remember, we started our rollout three weeks after the UK due to the fact we needed the indemnity agreed and in place, and by then the Christmas period had hit. As of close of play last night, the UK had delivered doses, that's both first and second doses combined, to the equivalent of 35.3 people per 100 people in their population. Here on Ireland, 
we had delivered doses to the equivalent of 33.4 people or 100, per 100 people, so a 1.9% difference. In terms of the different types of doses delivered, again as of last night, the UK had delivered first doses to 33.5% of their population, we had to 22.5%. But it has to be remembered, we had until a few weeks ago been delivering second doses at 28 days, whereas the UK changed early on to prioritise first doses and stretch out the second dose, even before the clinical trials on the effect of, the, of that approach on the first dose had been completed and published in early February. When it comes to second doses, which is what is required to complete someone's vaccination, the UK has 1.8% of its population fully vaccinated. We have 10.9% of our population fully vaccinated. So some interesting and important figures to get out there publicly, and they show that despite what some people are saying, we are not massively behind the UK. In fact, we are close to level, even although our programme started three weeks later, just as we said we would be at this stage. I just want to stick with vaccines, if I may, Chief Minister, and touch again on a topic I have raised a few times before, that of consent. Those who do not have the capacity to consent to their own vaccination must undergo a best interest policy with their GP before they can be vaccinated and the GP must certify that the vaccination is in that person's best interests. We still are having relatives turning up with people who can't consent wanting them vaccinated. Relatives can't consent on the person's behalf even if that relative has in other circumstances the power to consent to other things on that person's behalf. It has to, with the vaccine, be arranged via the person to be vaccinated's GP. We have a video to play to you all after this briefing where our consultant geriatrician, Dr Duncan Jerry, explains what consent means and what steps need to be taken to get a loved one vaccinated who can't consent for themselves. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, David, and I, I hope you're all um, delighted with, with, with the figures that we're seeing. I did promise you that by the end of this month, we would have caught up with the UK on the number, uh, on the same ratio of people per 100 as have been vaccinated in the UK. And as the UK have one of the best records in the world, it means that the Isle of Man is there too. I'm delighted that we're going to be ahead of that schedule, and we will have caught up far earlier than the end of this month. Also, again, thanks very much to our vaccinators who are doing a sterling job. And I know that because I'm getting a phenomenal feedback from all of you who've been for a vaccine saying how delighted you've been with the warm welcome you've received and the efficient way that you've been handled and treated. So thank you very much again, David. Now, I know that a number of you will be keen to hear about what is happening with our schools. Let me hand over to the Minister of Education, Sport and Culture for his update. Alex. Thank you. Last week, in response to the decision to close our schools and nurseries, I talked about establishing childcare provision for the children of our critical workers. However, as we continue to hit a peak of daily cases, we've reviewed the latest data on how infection is currently spreading, particularly amongst our children and young people. It has therefore been decided that now is not the appropriate time to reopen any childcare provision. I would like to apologise for, for the disruption this continues to cause working families, especially to many of our critical workers. But the safety of our children, young people and our wider community 
has been and continues to be of paramount importance. We will continue to work with teachers and childcare providers to plan for the phased reopening of facilities as soon as it is safe to do so. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, Alex. Before I go to questions from the media, I would like to pass on a few important messages. First of all, I know that the pandemic has caused financial challenges and uncertainty. If you find yourself in difficulty or need some advice, please remember that the Office of Fair Trading provides a confidential debt cancelling service. This gives people the opportunity to talk to a, speci to talk to a specialist debt counsellor about their financial concerns and you can contact this service on 686 510. That's 686 510. The Office of Fair Trading can also provide advice for tenants who may be concerned about their rights during and beyond the current lockdown. And the number for them to call is 686 500. That's 686 500. If you are facing difficulties, please call. There is help there for you. A second message I've been asked to mention here is the strain on our emergency services. They are working under real pressure at the moment, not least because a number of them have been required to self-isolate, and they are doing everything they can to maintain responsible social distancing. We have spoken here before about the importance of us all playing our part. Please think about what you can do to minimise the risk of the emergency services being required whether this is your driving, a sporting activity or anything else. Let's all do our bit so that they are there to respond when we need them most. Let's go to questions from the media. And first we have Josh Stokes from ITV Granada. Good afternoon, Josh. Fast am I. Good afternoon, Chief Minister. This question to yourself and Dr Hewitt, please. We can see that the figures continue to be incredibly high for the island still. Just yesterday, we heard from yourself, Dr Hewitt, that we could see another four, five, maybe even six weeks before we can be clear that restrictions should be changed. People are fatigued. They want honesty. They need to plan ahead. Surely you can announce today, Chief Minister, that this 21-day circuit breaker will not be long enough to regain that control that's so needed. Well, I think, Josh, that's a question either you or another asked me um, at the beginning of the week, and we said we've, we've got to wait for data. Yes, and I think I said at the time, at this moment in time, I do not think we will be out of lockdown within the three-week period. I'm looking at our good friends and colleagues in Guernsey. They have taken longer um, to come out of this lockdown than... Um, we did our, our second lockdown, for example. There's a, the new variant. It, it spread much easier. If everyone follows the rules, they stay at home wherever possible, we will come out of this much quicker. If people don't follow the rules and continue to mix, maybe, when they shouldn't, we will stay in this lockdown for a longer period. So we cannot give you an exact date. Um, that, that's an absolute key thing, but we're absolutely working our best to ensure that the lockdown is as short as possible. If it's longer for three weeks, but we're seeing a significant reduction in numbers, then we will look at ways of bringing certain sectors back to work as long as they follow, follow the put in place mitigation processes and wearing of PPE, etc. So it won't be a full um, 
from the position we are in now um, for, for the coming weeks, we will look to ease it as we go forward. But really, it is in the hands of everyone on this island that the sooner we come out of this, it's down to everyone, where possible, staying at home. Dr Ewart, would you like to add to that, please? Yes, not a lot to add, really, except to say that um, from here on in, the majority of cases that we see should be in known high-risk contacts of the previous wave of community cases. Cases. If we keep say, seeing new community cases that aren't linked to existing cases, then that indicates that there are issues around the way people are observing the circuit breaker restrictions, and that is down to behaviour. So really just to reiterate what the Chief Minister has said, that the sooner we can get out of this is really down to people really observing all the requirements and not mixing. And if they do have to be in a place where other people are, making sure they observe social distancing, use of face coverings, respiratory etiquette, and you know keeping their hands washed or sanitised. So it really is to an extent up to each and every one of us. We all need to behave as if we are infected and we all need to behave as if the places that we are in are a risk for us becoming infected. Thank you. Thank you. Just, just to clarify there, Chief Minister, you say about the date and we shouldn't be hanging on to a date. So presumably we shouldn't be hanging on to those, that 21-day period anymore either. Is that what you're saying? Well, what I'm saying is that our, our last lockdown, we went for 21 days. I think we came out in about day 24, 25, if memory serves me correct. So we um, called this lockdown a three-week um, circuit break again whilst we became aware of what was happening. We're, we're learning all the time. I don't think personally but the data is not there yet, that, that it's going to be within the 21 days. I think it is going to take longer for us to come out of this, given the um, infectiousness, the, the way this um, variant has spread so quickly. I think I said in my um, initial speech, it was eye-watering, the speed with which that it, it's been able to spread so quickly amongst people. It's highly infectious. So I would expect it's going to take longer than the initial three weeks. But as I, say, I can't give you an exact date because it really is in the hands of people. I think people think the first lockdown, um, not many people got it, etc., etc. But we're dealing with a different variant now. This new variant, the Kent variant, is highly infectious and people need to respect it and realise that, as Dr Hewitt says, please don't go out unless you really have to. OK, thank you. And my second question for Minister Ashford, please. Um, in regards to those hospital admissions, 12 people is quite the increase overnight. Can you just give us an update on the capacity available at Nobles Hospital? How many beds are currently available for COVID patients? And can this be increased if needed? Yes, so we have a full ward um, for COVID positive patients, Josh. Um, I believe the capacity of the ward is around about 18, but then, of course, um, there's ICU capacity that plays into that as well, and we can create other wards if necessary, as we did during the outbreak last year. We have to remember that people in hospital covers a wide range of people, so it may be patient transfers that have come back from treatment in the UK who are COVID positive, so need, and they need to remain in hospital for other treatments. It equally means people who may have gone into hospital for another treatment um, but have tested COVID positive when they've gone in, so we've had to go so we class into the figures as well so it's not just people who've become covid positive deteriorated and then go into hospital it's a mix okay and just just off the back of that this this increase that we've had does that concern you at this point 
At, the, at this point, it doesn't. Obviously, anyone being in hospital with COVID is a concern. Um, but in terms of the capacity and our ability to cope, that is not currently a concern. But obviously, it's something we have to keep constantly under review. And I, you know, as a health service, we are continuously um, keeping that under review. Okay, thanks very much, Josh. And next we have Helen McKenna from Isle of Man Newspapers. Good afternoon, Helen. Fast am I. Good afternoon, Ministers. Uh, just before I ask my questions, can I just check with the Health Minister, please, the number of how many people are currently self-isolating? So I'll bring the Director of Public Health in as well, just in case um, she, she's got any different figure to me. But my figure shows that the total number currently in self-isolation is 3,409. I don't know if Dr Hewitt has the same figure. I can't pull it up at the minute, right. so I won't hold well, I'll, I'll give the figures I've got, which is self-isolation total is 3,409. Um, High-risk close contacts within that figure is 1,676. Thank you. So my first question is about what proportion of new cases are coming from household transmission and what proportion are coming from unknown community sources? So in relation to the unknown sources, um, my understanding is the numbers are going down compared to where they were. We are still identifying some from unknown sources. That will be the case. As we said, it takes it takes seven, eight days to feed into the data. So we are still within the period. Um, so we will still see that for the next number of days. But I also believe that the numbers in terms of household transmission of people already isolated, as you would expect, are, the, are, the, are one of the main drivers. But I'll bring the Director of Public Health in. Yes, that's correct, Minister, and I've managed to pull up the figures now. So we have 448 locally acquired cases with a known source, so that's largely household and other close contacts, and 143 that are of an unknown source. And that number is going down, as we said we'd expect, because, you know, that's the, the tail end of the community acquired before the um, circuit breaker arrangements were put in place. Thank you. Thank you. My second question is about uh, Denmark, Norway, Italy and Iceland have halted the use of the AstraZeneca vaccine due to the risk of blood clots. What's the Isle of Man's stance on this? Right, so in relation to AstraZeneca, there are several countries that currently have halted. Um, as of the 9th of March, 22 cases um, of thrombosis events have been reported amongst 3 million people vaccinated within the European Economic Area. So there's no evidence at this time of that being any higher than would have been seen in the non-vaccinated population. In fact, my understanding is it's actually slightly lower than what would be expected in a overall population. So nothing was showing up in the trials and the UK has been widely using AstraZeneca and has reported no issues. There's been no issues that have been flagged via the yellow card system in the UK, which is the way doctors or other medical professionals can report issues of someone vaccinated. And the UK so far has used um, just over 20 million doses of the AstraZeneca um, vaccine. So the European Medical Agency, although investigating, has made clear that this is no higher than what you would see in the population of people unvaccinated. There isn't currently a proven link. They are investigating, but they haven't changed their recommendation as an agency on the use of AstraZeneca. And I don't know if the Director of Public Health has got anything else to add. 
Um, really, just to, to support what you've just said there, I mean, clearly association doesn't prove causation, and particularly not when the incidence is actually lower than you'd expect in an unvaccinated population anyway. So why those countries have decided to take the decision they have, given that the European Medicine Agency has not advised that, I don't know. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much, Helen. Now we have Rob Pritchard from 3FM. Good afternoon, Rob. Faster my. Faster my, Chief Minister. My first question for the Health Minister, just with regards to testing. Quite a few people have commented about waiting times for test results at the moment. Given the high case numbers that we're seeing and the high amounts of testing that we're having to do, could you give us some clarity on what the average waiting time is for a test result at the moment? Um, it can be up to several days, Rob. Uh, 111, what the process um, is basically the lab processes the results and then 111 has to contact the individuals. I do ask people to bear with us because it does take a substantive amount of time with the current levels we're seeing. That's not unusual just for us. When Jersey went through their outbreak, I think it was three days on average people were waiting for results to come back. Um, so 111 has been under pressure trying to return all those calls. They are doing so as fast as they can. They're also sending the emails, of course, as well, because some people have opted to receive the results via email. Um, and we will get through them as quickly as possible. The lab is clearing down the test, but then 111 has to pick up and contact the individuals. In normal times, um, this wouldn't be an issue. And we've done very well, I th in, think, in normal times in getting to everything done within 24 hours. But I'm afraid at this point in time, due to the volumes that we're going through, people unfortunately will have to be patient. Okay, thank you. My second question is for the Education Minister. Of course, no return for childcare services at the moment. But in terms of, you mentioned that you're continuing to speak with the likes of uh, head teachers, nurseries and childminders going forward. Could you give us a bit more detail as to some of the options that are being explored in the long term, even if you can't give any dates? Certainly, Rob. And again, I apologise that we've had to delay the opening of um, facilities. We were initially planning to open one hub school close to Nobles Hospital for key staff there. Um, but when we had infection control looking around the premises, they flagged up the very real problem of the levels of infection amongst children and young people gathering too many people in one place and therefore not only spreading the infection theoretically through the staff and, and, and pupils, but also then back into the wider community. What we're working on at the moment is a much more diffuse pattern so that we can use existing facilities for very small numbers of people, keep people in care bubbles, and also bring in, bringing in routine testing, both for staff and students, before they access that. Now, obviously, in the United Kingdom, they've tried various ways of trying to make sure that schools remain safe. And what we're doing is looking at testing protocols for pupils going back into school so that we can try to guarantee as much as possible that they don't take the virus in there with them. So at the moment, we're drawing up protocols for this and hopefully we'll be able to announce more details next week. So just for clarity on that, if I don't mind, so you're saying there's a possibility that we could see more regular testing for school pupils and teachers going forward? That's one of the things we're exploring at the moment. Obviously, as you've just said, testing and, and, and swabbing is under a, quite a lot of pressure at the moment to control the infection on our island to get on top of it. And so we don't want to put the existing resources under any extra pressure. But as hopefully we get over the peak of infections, we have a breathing space to create um, 
more capacity for some routine testing, then this is one of the things we're looking into. Because when we gradually reopen facilities, we want to make sure they stay open. And we want to make sure we can then expand on that provision for our working families. Thank you. Thanks very much, Rob. And now we move on to Ewan Gorn from Manx Radio. Good afternoon, Ewan. Faster my. Faster my. Um, my question is for the uh, Director of Public Health, uh, if I may, Dr. Ewan. You said yesterday in your discussion on the exit framework with uh, James Davis, the island must reach 21 days of no new community cases before lockdown measures can consider, uh, or you could consider lifting them. So can I just ask, how are we measuring uh, community cases in that event, you know, considering with the fact we're currently in a lockdown, what, what are the metrics you're looking at when making that decision? The community cases are the unexpected and unexplained ones, ones that do not link to a household or to another high-risk contact. So those are the ones that give us most concern and lead us to think that it is still circulating in the community and that elements in the community are still mixing and allowing it to spread. So if that 21 days is achieved, would it be safe to lift all restrictions or lockdown restrictions? It's impossible ever to say anything is safe. It's all about levels of risk. Um, the, the number 21 comes from the fact that the incubation cycle of COVID is 14 days. Now, even that is not an absolute guarantee. There is the possibility that the occasional person, a very small percentage, probably less than 1%, will actually incubate for longer than 14 days. 21 days really gets you beyond the time at which anybody is likely to be incubating. The technical cutoff for closing an outbreak in epidemiological terms is twice the incubation period. So that takes you up to 28 days. So 28 days is kind of the technical definition. 21 days is a good pragmatic definition about which, about which time you would be starting to think that you could consider either lifting all or gradually lifting some sequentially of the, the restrictions that have been in place. Well, Chief Minister, uh, just on the sequential lifting of restrictions, you mentioned that certain trades you might consider allowing them to return to work uh, should the situation allow. Will we also be seeing um, changes to what you might allow households to do concurrently with those changes? Well, we've tried to learn from previous lockdowns to, to see what we can allow without being too um, making life too difficult for members of the public, but trying to stop that, that spread. So I think we had hoped to be able to keep the construction sector going. We've allowed one-man, two-man bands, um, builders, etc., to carry on, but we had to shut the construction sector. They're outside, and therefore the risk tends to be great, uh, sorry, tends to be less um, for them. So that might be the next step when we feel that we've got it under control. And then we may look at um, types of non-essential shops as long as they can put mitigations in place. But just at this moment in time, Ewan, it, it's too early. But what I can assure everyone is we may be in lockdown for a number, maybe a, a week or so extra, but it won't be the full lockdown that we're experiencing now if the data um, proves satisfactory that we can ease the situation. But I, I can't give dates, I'm afraid. It, it has to be when the data's right, we will start to ease it off. It's what we've done in the past and it's what we'll do again going forward. Thank you very much, Ewan. 
Okay, next we have Alex Bell from BBC Isle of Man. Good afternoon, Alex. Fast am I. Good afternoon. Um, for the health minister or, or, or whoever can answer this with uh, figures, um, of those hospital admissions which have increased today, um, are any in ICU? And if so, how many? I can answer that and the answer is one. One person in ICU. What's the current capacity of ICU, please? So the current capacity of ICU is eight to ten beds, um, but I believe in our in our programme we can expand further if necessary. Thank you. Um, Chief Minister, um, for, for my next question, um, a, a, an island advocate is among a growing number of voices today who is calling for an independent investigation into the steam packet situation which triggered this outbreak. Now, given that the border policy is such a cornerstone of the Isle of Man's COVID story so far, will you be, uh, will you be triggering an independent review? Well, if Tim will ask for an independent review, I, I will. Of course, um, that's up to Tim. Well, I won't be doing it because an individual member of the public um, wants one. That's, that, that's for sure. Um, we need to find out what went wrong. And I've asked for a review to find that out. Now, we've had a very good service where I don't believe anyone travelling on the steam packet has caught COVID from a member of staff. They've come back with it but they have not caught it from the crew, and the crew haven't caught it from a member of the public. What's happened is that an English member of, um, or UK-based member of staff on the crew has somehow been able to pass it on to a Manx member of the crew. That then person has gone home and, and passed it on to the family and, and has got out. So we need to learn how did that happen and what can we do to tighten up to make sure it doesn't happen again. So that's a review. I'm happy to share the, the, the review once I've got the data back. What else are we going to do? Um, you know, it, it's happened. The steam packet have looked after us exceptionally well during a year's period. Something has clearly gone wrong and we need to learn from that, fix it, make sure it doesn't happen again. We cannot reduce that risk, though, totally, as I've said time and time again. Unless we stop all planes and boats coming to the Isle of Man and people coming to the Isle of Man, there will always be a risk. And we have to ensure that we've done our very best to mitigate that risk. And as I say, that's why I've asked the Chief Secretary to carry out a review to give us the data to see if we can find where it's gone wrong and if there's an area we need to tighten up then of course we will. If Timwald wants um, an independent review, that's entirely for Timwald to, to decide. I'm happy with the review that I've ordered because, ordered because I want to find out, if we can, what we need to do to stop it from happening. So if we need to toughen up our borders, we, we will. Will the, will the review cover the legal and constitutional elements of it, though? Because what, what you've just said there is kind of the, the process by which the virus made it into a member of staff. Uh, I think the, the the overarching opinion of people is that the direction notices and the situation surrounding that needs to be reviewed. Absolutely. If if there needs to be a, a change in our legal directions, um, instructing um, what what to be done, then that will happen. But we need to find out first and foremost, you know, what the review says, and if the review recommends a change to our legal directions, then of course. We will do that. I've got a totally open mind. I don't know how. I don't personally know how um, it's got onto the island. I want the review to find out to let us know. So, as I say, if we need to alter legislation, if we need to tighten the rules, or just make sure that um, people are told exactly what they have to do and labour that, then that's what we'll do. But let's not prejudge anything until we've had that report, which I'm happy to share 
with, with everyone, um, bar maybe any personal information, um, once I've got it. A, a person has been asked to do the review, and um, I've asked, I want to get this done as quickly as possible. Thanks, Alex. Your next question. Uh, sorry, that was my oh, second. Oh, that was your second one. Sorry yeah, yeah. for that. Right, next we have Simon Richardson from Business 365. Good afternoon, Simon. Fast am I. Good afternoon, Chief Minister. My first question is for you, please. Um, one by one, many of the big events planned for summer are being cancelled again this year with the TT, the Manx Grand Prix, Bowls Festival, Beer Festival and numerous others. Um, it's obviously disastrous for the tourism sector. Are you satisfied that the current levels of support provided are sufficient to prevent large swathes of the tourism businesses from going under? And also, given that many tourist businesses are fairly bespoke and don't fit easily into specific categories, are you satisfied that there isn't too much red tape involved in claiming support? Well, obviously, I've asked the Department for Enterprise and Minister Skelly to look at this. We have given a considerable amount of money to that sector, but I, you know, we're, I think we're going to have to give more. Clearly, the Manx Grand Prix is being cancelled. We've said the reasons why. Personally, I'm very disappointed with that, as I am a big supporter. However, that's what we, we, we're facing, and therefore we felt it important when we came up with our current framework to let the industry know if you've got Easter bookings, the chances of that happening are pretty remote, and therefore you may want to alter your business to an isolation business where you've got a, a lot of people coming over. We've said that hopefully by the end of April into May, um, our high-risk groups will have all have had at least one dose, and we may be able to then look at allowing visitors, that's family and friends, to come to the Isle of Man to visit. They will need to isolate, and there could be more business for some of our um, hospitality sectors, the, the um, hotels, bed and breakfasts, etc., to, to put them up. So that, I'm afraid, is where they're going to have to look at. We wanted them to realise that from as early as possible. And should we need to give extra support, then I know our tourism sector are working with the industry to see what needs to be put in place to help those sectors. So very important sectors, um, and we will do our utmost to, to give them the, the best support that we can, Simon. Thank you. And the second question is for the Health Minister, please. Um, Mr Ashworth, I've been approached by a person who's had a serious gallbladder operation cancelled six times and an eye operation uh, cancelled three times. Now, the latest cancellation he fully understands given the COVID flare-up. Um, the others were not during the pandemic phase. Now, his concern is twofold. One, that under normal winter conditions, it seems Nobles is struggling to cope so if our main acute hospital can't deal with our current population, how does it sit with government's desire to, to actually grow the population? And secondly, and more currently, the uh, 111 service, when you call, has two options, swabs and symptoms and vaccinations. Now, because he was having an operation, he was booked in for a pre-op uh, swab. Now, presumably, there are many others in the same boat, uh, but he's tried repeatedly to get through on 111, which, as we know, is very busy, to cancel his swab test. Um, he's worried that this could ultimately waste the time of the swab team who could fill the appointment that he had with somebody waiting for a test and suggests that separating the swab and symptoms from the vaccinations and establishing a second dedicated phone line uh, might be an option. Is this feasible? 
Um, I, I think the problem is that you could end up with multiple phone lines for multiple different things. Um, there's not just that permeation. There's lots of other things where we could separate out. And then you end up with, as you end up with some businesses when you ring them up, where you're spending longer on the phone getting through the options than you actually are getting through to someone. It is a high volume time for 111. Let's be honest, this isn't normal. Um, in previous times, prior to this outbreak, people have been able to get through to 111 in a timely manner. Um, it hasn't had this issue. I think trying to design a system for something that we have on a temporary basis is not really the way to go. There are other avenues people can take if they need to cancel. There's email addresses out there, etc., where they can make contact via email. I realise not everyone is technically minded and they might need the phone, and it is frustrating for them at this current time. Um, but it is important that people persevere with that. In relation to the hospital itself, all hospitals come under winter pressure. You cannot run a hospital 365 days a year geared up for winter pressures. Um, that just would not be uh, practical either from a health delivery point of view or even a financial point of view. So the, that is why we have winter mitigation plans in place. Um, unfortunately, in some areas, there have been more pressures than normal this year and than the previous year. That wouldn't normally be the case. Where we do have extreme pressures as well, we normally um, seek assistance from the UK, for instance, if we have pinch point areas to bring the numbers down. Um, as we've seen, the UK has their own problems and have had their own problems for the last 12 months. So we haven't been able to buy in the support and put people into maybe into the UK system in the way we have in previous years. So I don't, you know, it, the, the phrase perfect storm probably isn't the best of approaches, but that's what it's pretty much been over the last 12 months. So this isn't winter pressures as normal. It is winter pressures plus the closure of avenues that we would normally be able to take to alleviate that because of COVID. So it, it's a full mixture. Thank you. Thanks very much, Simon. Now we move on to Sam Turton from Jeff. Good afternoon, Sam. Last time, uh, Chief Minister. I just wonder if we could uh, go back to where we were the other day in terms of the tech rollout for the vaccines uh, system. We've heard it this week from people that emails have been going into spam folders when they've been going out, and people turned up for appointments which had been moved, and they weren't. They said they weren't told. The government said they were told, but we're not going to get into that. Can we look again at? How soon is it going to be possible to have a better tech system behind this? We've got a vaccine team doing a fantastic job, but the flaws seem to be in the actual organisation of the system behind them. David. Yeah, well, there, there has to be a multitude of systems. We have to use the systems that we've got, Sam. Um, you can't design a bespoke IT system overnight. Um, in relation to... Couldn't we use them to do this? This is what the whole point no, is. No, because, because don't forget, we've got to comply with the law as well. Now, the GP primary care records, which is basically what needs to drive this, because they are the complete medical records of the individual, are owned by the GP surgeries in terms of data. DHSC has no legal right to access those, only the GP can access those and share any data that they wish to. Um, so we can't have a direct necessary feed into that. Um, in terms of letters going out, this is the over 70s and the extremely clinical vulnerable, as I said, that was to do with the problem with the search facility. Um, that is being corrected. Um, we have had no other problems with the other age cohorts, as far as I'm aware. We were getting the over 65s manually checked to make sure that there wasn't an issue there, but I've not been made aware of any that have been identified. Um, so we've got to be very careful. And also, like I say, you can't really have an automated booking system behind because it's dependent upon vaccine levels coming in. 
and that changes daily. So if we book a load of people, say, four or five weeks in advance, and then it turns out we don't get the supply of vaccine we need, we have to then manually cancel all those appointments, rebook them and move them, and that can actually end up creating even more work. So the actual most efficient one is people can register online for the vaccination, and then 111 will call them back or email them um, or even send them a letter with the actual appointment time and date. Um, because the vaccine amounts coming in vary. For instance, I think I've mentioned it this briefing before, we've had the vaccine schedule change four times in one day before. Um, so if we create a whole bespoke booking system thinking we are getting a supply of vaccine and then we don't, that could be, for instance, this week, that would have meant nearly 5,000 people who thought they were getting a vaccine being cancelled and rebooked, and that actually could potentially lead to even further errors. So 111 only books people in and actually gives them their appointment once they know the supply of vaccine is guaranteed for that person for that appointment. I think it's fair to say, before we take the next question, Sam, that no system is going to be perfect. Of course, we want to improve what the, the service that we provide to people, but I think this is the biggest immunisation programme the island, the world, has ever taken. Uh, and to be in the position we are, um, I, I think the vast majority of it has worked very smoothly. Of course, we're always going to get the odd hiccup um, um, problem there but and, and we can only apologize for that but no system is infallible and, and I think if people look across the look at the bigger picture it, it's worked quite well but we take on board these concerns and if there's any way of tweaking the systems to um, make it better then of course we will do that Sam and your next question Sam yes it's uh, going to the exit strategy the um, framework it's just in terms of people coming to the island, once we get to a stage where family and friends can come, they say it will be under the same restrictions as residents returning to the island. But realistically, that isn't going to work, is it? Because, for example, my sister lives in Glasgow. She's not going to be able to come here and isolate for two weeks just to be able to see the family for a weekend before she goes home. So how is it actually going to work when this comes forward? Well, it's clear if she has to isolate for two weeks on, on, on her own, Sam, yeah, unless she's desperate to see you, that ain't going to happen. You know, we, we have to look at the data near the time to see whether we can say, well, maybe in, in, in towards the end of May that you can stay with the family, but that whole family must isolate for the period in for a period of time. What you, you, you must remember is that until everyone has been vaccinated, just because you've been vaccinated, say, in the UK, and you've come over to the island, that doesn't mean to say that you, you're not carrying COVID-19, that you couldn't spread it. So until we're confident that we've protected um, the people of the island, we will have to keep measures in place. What those exact, measure, exact measures will be, we don't know yet, but we're, we're just having to put a marker down that you're not just going to be able to rack over onto the island at the beginning of May, move freely around and, and, and see your family on the island. We will have to have measures in place because whilst we expect to have given everyone in our high risk groups at least a first dose and the vast majority will have obviously had a second one there will still be the rest of our adult population who will need the vaccination and of course our young people should the vaccines be approved for young people i don't know if dr Hewitt, if you'd like to expand on that please Yes, I mean, obviously, there are a lot of features that will um, play into reviewing the borders framework, and that will depend on levels of infection across um, the completion of their vaccine programme, the status of our vaccine programme, and the emerging evidence, which is, you know, accruing all the time. So we're getting clearer about the effects of the vaccine in terms of its impact on whether you get infected and are able to transmit 
um, COVID. Thank you. Thanks. David, would you like to give a further comment for Sam? Yeah, if I could, Chief Minister, it gives me an opportunity to use a phrase I haven't been able to use for a while, Sam, which is baby steps. Um, basically, everything we do has to be done in, in phases. Now, we recognise that some phases, as things release, will suit certain people and not suit others. Um, though I've had contact from friends and family desperate to get into the island who said they would happily do the two weeks or even three weeks isolation as long as it as long as it then allowed them to see their family um, not everyone is in that situation people have work where they can't take two weeks off to isolate in the island we recognize that but we've got to ensure that what we do is for the safety of the island and that means that we have to take measures that are proportionate as we move along so the first stage is allowing people into the island friends and family when we believe it's safe for that to happen with isolation in maybe further down the line then reducing the isolation that they have to actually do for travelers into the island and then eventually long long term um, going back to what was the pre-normal in some way um, but it has to be done in those phases we can't just go for a big bang and release because that would be absolutely catastrophic but we do recognize that that will not suit everyone who may want to come to our beautiful island Thanks very much, Sam. And last but not least, we have Paul Moulton from Isle of Man Television. Good afternoon, Paul. Fast am I. Good afternoon. My questions are for Mr Ashford, I think. Um, you, you're talking there about 111 being still under some pressure. Can you take us through this? I, I believe there's two rooms, there's two banks, a lot of people, but how many people at any one time are answering those phones? Well, at the moment, Paul, um, that's within Cabinet Office, so I don't have those numbers. Um, it's not run by DHSC, um, but my understanding is they have radically increased the staffing. They've been bringing volunteers in to help as well and to train up. So my understanding, certainly from the conversations I've had with Cabinet Office, is that those numbers have increased quite dramatically. The simple fact is, with the sheer amount and volume, um, it is always going to be a challenge with us trying to keep the vaccination programme going as well, which has to be a national, um, you know, a national priority. Um, as I say, everything has just come together. That will now start to tail off because we will be seeing less and less, hopefully, unknown cases and therefore less spread in that way. And the spread will be purely down to people who we already know about in isolation. So that then reduces the pressures on 111. Like I say, this isn't unusual. Other, other countries have seen it as well. The UK has seen pressures on their systems. And I certainly know Jersey, when they were at the height of their recent outbreak, they were saying it would take up to three days for people to be able to get test results back. Um, and if they had queries, it would take that long to be answered. So you say it's increased dramatically. Can you give us what it was and what it is now as far as you're aware? Well, like I say, I don't have those figures because DHSC isn't in charge of 111. Um, I hope you say increased dramatically, so you have some idea. Someone's well, told well, you well, what I say, well, what I can say, what I mean by increased dramatically is the workload they're dealing with. So, with, so they've increased the number of letters they're dealing with with vaccination. So, for instance, the cohort that's just going out is 7,000 letters. Um, we know the number of tests being undertaken daily has gone dramatically up. So, for instance, I think yesterday was five. 500 tests undertaken we've had other days of that where previously they would have been dealing with maybe 100 so you're talking numbers trebling 
um, quadrupling or more of the workload to be undertaken. So they have put extra staff in, um, but we are never, with the best will in the world, going to be able to gear up that they can do things instantly. There is other avenues as well. People do have email addresses that they can potentially send queries to. They also, of course, now can register for the vaccine online using the online form. So there's things like that that will reduce pressure and give people other avenues rather than having to hang on the phone to 111. Um, it is a difficult time. It's a frustrating time for many people out there. But what we say is we people do have to bear with us at this time and understand the pressures that exist. And to finish this, you said there were some technical issues some time ago. Were they re resolved? So it's it's working better? Yeah, yeah my, my understanding is there were some technical issues um, with the line. So again, it was that perfect storm scenario. It all coincided. We've been working with Manx Telecom, and my understanding is that those technical issues have now been resolved. Dr Ewart, is there anything you'd like to add before Paul moves on to his next question? No, thank you. OK, thanks. Paul, your next question. Um, I've been hearing um, situation up at Nobles Hospital. Um, two two cases I want to highlight. One, this this young lady was in a ward and she had nowhere to get a shower. She had no access to do that, and and the uh, family and friends were very concerned. And secondly, a gentleman was left to use a commode for for going to the toilet, and there was no other option. So he actually discharged himself, and he was a, a COVID case. Are these the exceptions? Are these just what's coming out? You know, is everything okay up at Nobles Hospital? You, you manage it. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, everything's okay, Paul. I, I can't comment on things I don't know about or haven't been told about. Um, I'd, I'd be interested to know how a COVID case, though, managed to discharge themselves because they're effectively isolated up at the hospital. Um, so I'm not quite sure how that works. But um, but I can't comment, obviously, on individual patient issues publicly anyway. Um, that would be highly inappropriate for me to do. But I'm not aware of either of those two issues, so I couldn't comment in general anyway. But the, the question, are they coping, meaning is everything, as far as you're aware, okay up there? Yeah, yeah the, no, the hospital is under pressures. Um, we have staffing pressures, of course, because we've got staff in isolation, exactly the same as anyone else. The staff are doing an absolutely brilliant job, exactly the same as they did 12 months ago. Um, and again, I'll take it as an opportunity to thank all of the staff across health and social care and all of our key workers who've been doing an absolutely wonderful job keeping things running. We've had to adapt the hospital. That has meant turning certain things off. That's meant creating a COVID ward in order to be able to cope. But the measures that we had in place last year, we can go back to and have been moving back to. And as far as I am aware, they are working. But like I say, individual cases, I can't comment on publicly anyway. But those two cases, I specifically can't because I've not heard of them before. Thank you. I'll, I'll see you Sunday for more questions. Thank you. OK, Paul, but if you have any of the, the details and they're happy to be shared with us, if you want to pass, pass it on to David, I'm sure he'll look into those individual concerns. Most definitely. OK, well, thank you all very much for your questions and thank you for everything you are doing. Right now, the message is simple. Stay at home. This is the best thing you can do for your island and the essential services that keep us safe. The more people that stay at home, the quicker we can bring this outbreak under control. It is in all of our hands. If you do have to go out, please wear a face covering as much as you possibly can. If you feel any symptoms, please self-isolate and call 111 as soon as possible. Respect the rules and we will get through this. Please make the right decisions for you, your family and your island. Thank you all very much. Bye-bye.